I know it's the fifth Sunday of Easter. We're going to figure this out when we stand and sit after the gospel. I know as soon as we figure it out, Easter will be over, but that's okay. It's still pretty cool. This evening's gospel of John drops us right at the end of the Last Supper. As Jesus gives his disciples a new commandment on how to live. The old directive was love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus takes us up a few notches and says that the love we're to have for each other is to be modeled on how Christ lived and loved because we all belong to Christ. So if we're to love each other as Christ loved us, what does that kind of love, the depth of love, this Christ-centered love look like? Well, for Jesus, it was feeding the hungry, healing the sick, loving the outcasts, and dining with the sinners. You could say that his love had a way of turning lives upside down. It was so radical that it turned his society on its head. And what this new commandment, which is actually repeated 12 more times throughout the Gospels and and letters from Paul, reminds us that each day, We are called and challenged to love in such a way that it turns lives on its head. But too often we miss the opportunity where we ignore it or we're just too self-absorbed to even give it a thought. So allow me to share with you three examples of what this life-changing, head-turning, Christo-centered love looks like. In his most recent book, On the Brink of Everything, Parker Palmer writes about how elders have many gifts that can be shared with the younger generation, but that the young are often unaware of the gifts that they have for elders. As one who just turned 80, he writes, for the young bring the gifts of energy, vision, and hope that hard experience has stolen from many of us. So I disagree with the elders who say, We must keep the young from making the same mistakes we made. They're going to make mistakes, but they're not going to make the same ones we did. They are not us. Their world is not the same as the one in which we grew up in, and it's possible that they're wiser than we were. But as I enter the late autumn of my life and given up all my mess-ups and how have I managed to survive even myself, A few answers become clear. Grace and forgiveness. The unconditional love of family and friends. And the openness of family and friends, young and old, who have shared their stories with me, helping me to feel less alone in my struggles. More grace, more forgiveness, more loving and open friends. Two weeks ago, the Canadian theologian and philosopher and founder of the Larch Communities, and who many have called a living saint, Jean Vanier died at the age of 90. His journey began in 1964, living outside of Paris, where he witnessed how too many people who had varying degrees of disabilities were suffering in psychiatric hospitals and other institutions. So he invited two such men, Philip and Raphael, to live with him in his small home. He thought he was doing a good deed for them, only to learn that it was not for them, 
but with them, friends and his equals. He once said, Before meeting them, my life had been governed largely from my head and my sense of duty. They brought out the child in me. I began to love from my heart. When those ingrained in a culture of winning and of individual success really meet people like Philip and Raphael and enter into friendship with them, something amazing and wonderful happens. They are changed at a very deep level. They are transformed and become fundamentally human. In one of his talks in 2006, Vanier said this, the quest is not just believing and loving God, but believing in and loving other people. It's about believing in ourselves as children of God and that we are called to see other people as God sees them, not as we would like them to be seen. This can be only done when we are in a relationship with one another, when we take the time to connect, to listen, to really listen to what someone is saying and to hear the story behind the story. And the last one is from Father Greg Boyle, the founder and director of Homeboy Industries. It's the world's largest gang intervention and rehab program. And he recently told this story. This past year, I was asked to give a talk at Gonzaga University to some thousand people and to bring two homies with me, former gang members active within Homeboy. One of them was a guy named Mario. He was the most tattooed person that had ever come through Homeboy Industries. His arms were all sleeved out, his neck blackened by the name of his former gang, his head shaved, covered with tattoos, forehead, cheeks, chin, and even his eyelids. Up to this point in time, I had never been in public with him. As we walked through the airport, people were staring, and moms were clutching their kids close to them. And I thought, wow. That's interesting, because if you came to Homeboy and asked anyone who was the kindest, gentlest person who worked here, everyone would quickly say, Marion. He sells baked goods at the counter. He's living proof that only the soul that ventilates the world with tenderness and love has any chance of changing the world. So the nighttime talk comes, and I invite Mario up for five minutes to share his story. He was terrified, but his talk was filled with stories that touched the heart. Well, time came for Q&A, and the first question was from a woman, and it was from Mario. So he came forward, clutching the microphone, still terrified, and he said, yes. And the woman asked, you say you are a father, and that you have a son and a daughter who are about to enter their teenage years, what advice do you give them? What wisdom do you impart to them? When Mario clutches his microphone. He is now just beyond petrified and is struggling at what to say. When he finally blurts out, I just... And he stops and he retreats back to clutching his microphone. But he wants to get the whole sentence out as tears run down his face. I just don't want my kids to turn out 
to be like me. And there's silence. Until the woman who asked the question stands, and it's now her turn to cry. And she says, why wouldn't you want your kids to turn out to be like you? You are loving. You are kind. You are gentle. You are wise. I hope your kids turn out to be just like you. And with that, a thousand perfect strangers stand, and they will not stop clapping. And all Mario can do is hold his face in his hands as he's so overwhelmed with emotion that a room full of perfect strangers had turned him on his head and returned him to himself, and they were returned to themselves. Loving one another as Christ loves us means being open to the times where we can reach out to others and turn their lives on their head, like the times when the young can teach the old, or the times when we pause to listen and communicate with those who are so different from us. Or in the words of Greg Boyle, it's the times when we go from here to stand with the demonized so the de demonizing will stop. When we stand with the disposable so that the day will come when we will stop throwing people away. And when we stand with those whose dignity has been denied and we stand with those whose burdens are more than they can bear and we stand with the poor and the powerless and the voiceless and we make those voices heard. This is the imitation that is before, before us each and every day, to ventilate the world with love, tenderness, compassion, forgiveness, and mercy. This is the new commandment that Christ gave us. This is what we're called to do, for it's where the Spirit flows, it's where Christ dwells, it's where God is present. It is indeed the places and the times that we need to be present, to be engaged, to be vulnerable, to be humble, and to be willing to love as Christ so loves us.